Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so it is time for one of our favorite kind of conspiracies. Today's classic episode talks about the Toynbee tiles. And Matt, I can't remember whether I mentioned this when we were first recording it, but I found a Toynbee tile in Atlanta. Did I tell you? Did I send a copy uh, of that to you? I think you did, but we got some great correspondence from people listening who also saw them. So I'm having a hard time figuring out if it's you know something you shared with us or something somebody else did. Yeah, but Toynbee tiles, if you've never heard of them, there are these mysterious art pieces appearing in the streets across the continental uh, Americas, across North and South America, and they have a strange and strangely consistent message. To this day, no one knows who is creating these and why. It really is a great idea for like a viral art piece. If you weren't really worried about monetizing your art, just come up with a single motif, a single idea, and just put it everywhere and make it weird, right? It can't just be regular old words or symbol. It needs to be like this thing. Makes you, it needs to make you go, what? <laughs> <laughs> we can't wait to hear your thoughts, folks. Here we go. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
Welcome back to the show. I was David Bowman. I was Noel, I think. Uh, I'm Ben, a.k.a. the Southside Stanley Kubrick Bowman. Still? Yeah, still. Still. Uh, it's weird, you know. No one really owns a nickname. People just give them to you. I know, and you hear about a lot of people that have the same ones, but they have to own it in their own special way. Right. Like all the Lils, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, <laughs> everyone's, everyone's a little something. But yeah, really own or a them. young something, you know? Uh, we're talking today about a very particular kind of street art. And I, I want to say from the top of, of, of this episode that for some people who haven't heard this and seen the title... It might sound weird for uh, for us to open up talking about street art, but we we love so much amazing street art, gorilla street art, especially. Um, there are conspiracies in that world. You know, who is Banksy, for yeah, instance? Yeah, That's a great one. People that create it. Mm-hmm. And there's one idea, street art in particular, that many of you, ladies and gentlemen, for years, even before we had an audio podcast, have asked us to cover. And we received some inspiration uh, in the form of a friend of the show most recently when we were in New York. Yeah, a good friend of the show and my own personal longtime good friend Matt Riddle and I were walking around in Manhattan. And he just kind of casually pointed at these odd little – pieces of text in these kind of colored boxes randomly along crosswalks and 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 said these are blamby blaze i'm like what blamby blaze what's what the what the hell is that matt riddle speak up enunciate mm-hmm. and he said they're toynbee tiles and it took me literally nine times of him having to repeat that like can you spell it i'm not getting mm-hmm, this right. i don't understand what this word is yeah and it's yeah a and it's it's they're basically just these kind of odd little Boxes of text that are all over Manhattan. And as it turns out, yeah, they're across uh, dozens of cities, not just on this continent either. And a la, you know, the Georgia Guidestones, who the hell put them there? Right, right. So these things popularly known as Toynbee tiles, and it is a tricky name. It's spelled T-O-Y-N-B-E-E. Uh, they're made from just just as Noel said, they're uh, they're embedded into asphalt. On the road, uh, they're made from layers of linoleum and this crack filling compound that's used to keep pavement together. People began talking about these tiles in the 1990s, but you can find some references that date back as far as the 80s. Still 1980s, not 1880s. This is not like a it Stephen yeah, King yeah, situation. Yeah. Um, and we can get into. The, the messages too. We're going to explore, uh, this, the story of this. And first, I think, I think you're absolutely asking the right question, Noel. Uh, who is this guy? There's, or, yeah, what is Toynbee? Right, right. So there's the, the most popular guess is that Toynbee is a reference to a fellow named Arnold J. Toynbee, a religious historian, um, born in England in 1889. That's the same year Hitler was born, just from our previous podcast. Man, every time we do a Hitler podcast, it just stays with us. It all goes back to Hitler, y'all. It all goes back to Hitler. That's that's it, folks. That's the truth. Uh, here's where it gets crazy. Uh, Toynbee tiles this made early? by Adolf Hitler. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we usually save that for the mid-roll break? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. that's the show. The rest of this is going to be silence, and then we'll do an ad, and then we'll go to silence again. <gasps> we should also do a shout-out corner, I guess. Yeah. Okay. A shout out where we shout out to no one. No one, no one, no one. 
Uh, yes, uh, Hitler aside, uh, Toynbee is not the only person mentioned in these tiles. Oh, no. Specifically, Stanley Kubrick or, well, just the last name is mentioned. He's the filmmaker that you may know from the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, amongst all of his other incredible works. Clockwork Orange, Lolita. Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Um, the Paths Shining. Of, Paths of Glory, The Shining. I mean, it just goes on. Yeah. And on. The man was a, was a maverick, I say. Mm. A filmmaking maverick and a personal favorite of our compatriot, Casey Pegram. Yes. And uh, not to spoil 2001 A Space Odyssey. You can't spoil that movie. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's, an, it's incredible. You should watch it's, it if you haven't great. seen it. Yeah. Uh, in the end of it, a human man mm-hmm. uh, seems to be reborn in some way. As a space baby. Okay, yes, as a space baby, whilst on a journey to do the planet Jupiter. And even if you could spoil 2001, I think we've agreed that the statute of limitations on spoilers for 2001 A Space Odyssey is definitely, definitely up. So, yeah. It is weird to think that it's 16 years after those events, like, would have taken place. Yes, yeah, that's what I love about older science fiction. In the year 2000. Yes, yes. Everything will be different. We'll all be flying in cars and rocket packs and like to the a, moon. Like a Handmaid's Tale that just uh, premiered recently uh, is set in 2005. I know, and it looks more or less like modern day, doesn't it? Yes. That's yeah. the, I thought that was pretty smart. Yeah, and then 1984, of course. But but the big question people would have is uh, Kubrick, right? We got Kubrick. We all know Kubrick. Toynbee. We're learning about Toynbee today and that weird name. Uh, what do these folks have in common? That's interesting because Toynbee was a, a prodigious writer, a, a, an alphabet prodigy, if you will. Uh, and they don't really intersect too often, but Toynbee's writings did mention a man named Zoroaster who conceived the idea of monotheism, worshiping just one God instead of a a Justice League type pantheon of gods who all have their own different powers and stuff. Uh, And this name, Zoroaster, also occurs in the title of the Space Odyssey theme song, Thus Spake Zoroaster. There we go. There we go. That's the part where the monkey hits yeah, the thing. That was bone. great, you guys. That was great. Yeah, and that's that's it. That's perfect. Um, and thus makes Zoroaster uh, to get in front of anybody who's about to write an angry Nietzsche an email does come from oh, it comes back to Hitler from Nietzsche. <laughs> Uh, yes, and, and perhaps that goes back to Hitler as well. But other than that, other than that one casual mention, the two ostensibly don't have very much in common. They don't seem to have much in common. So now we've set up some of the references here. Let's talk about what these tiles actually say. So they all contain some variation of the following inscription. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it reads almost like a short poem or something or like a, perhaps a card catalog entry. So you have four lines, all caps. First one says Toynbee idea. Second one, in movie 2001, third line, resurrect dead. Fourth line, on planet Jupiter. What? Yeah, it's very strange. It also, when I first learned about these, which um, listeners, one one of you emailed me or left a YouTube comment, and I it was so many years ago, I don't recall the name, but I was, I was wrong at the jump. I thought there was this crazy guy whose last name was Toynbee, who felt that Stanley Kubrick had ripped off this idea that he had. It's a reasonable assumption. Mm-hmm. 
because I didn't know as much um, or I hadn't dug into it as much. We also know that there will be variations on the text, like political statements or telling other people to go make their own tiles. And uh, we have some other messages that they've written. Yeah, here's just a couple examples. Again, these are all text, and many times the eyes are lowercased. That's the only uh, character that is lowercase. Please make and glue tiles as the American media is working with the Soviet Union and its thousands of fronts in USA to... And that one, that just kind of leaves it right there. Uh, I feel like it's connected to another one, perhaps. Ooh. All right. Under FOIA, NBC journalist funneled FBI information on me to Soviet. You must make plus glue tiles. You, NS Media, USSR. Every concept of past 500 years don't exist in Christian heaven. They only exist in Christian hell. Now the cult of the hellion are now searching for more than one hell ideologies to get more reward. Well, yeah. And if this idea survives after all, make those hell, these are definitely connected, make those hellions pay for what they've done. I'm begging you. Thank you. And goodbye. Also, uh, some shorter ones. Murder every journalist. I beg you. And I'm only one man. And when I caught a fatal disease, they gloated over its death. Okay. Now, clearly, there's some absurdism going on here, wouldn't you say? I mean, like, it seems it's almost like these some of these messages come off as like these hard right wing kind of political, almost threatening sounding, you know, little blurbs. But then there are things in here that totally derail them in right. terms of like, does, does this person believe any of this stuff? Is it just sort of mm-hmm. like a merry prankster kind of, you know, prank trick? Right. Is it an act? Is there some sort of uh, mental situation, mental imbalance at play? It's very possible. And they're also asking for other people to make tiles. So there's no way to confirm that they're all done by the same person. It's tough. That's a very important point. They also have footnotes. If you check out the messages where if you happen to see these, and we'll talk about the cities where you can find these, uh, you might see the the larger one uh, with the, you know, resurrect the dead, Mm -hmm. 2001, Jupiter, all that stuff. Uh, You might see a smaller tile piece under it that has those footnotes. That's where that murder every journalist thing came in. And then occasionally diatribes uh, condemning the media, the mafia or Jewish people. Yep. Hitler. We're back there already. (laughs) But there's a there's another uh, there's a tile. Some of these tiles have their own names, right? Uh, Well, yeah. Well, some of these names or any name that you're going to see has been ascribed by people who've researched these or, you know, documented them. Uh, specifically, there are a couple message boards back in the 90s that were – they would document every single one. They had mm-hmm. like a, a whole website that was dedicated to this stuff. Well, this one, there was one in particular that's called the Manifesto Tile, and it's four panels that are just white with black uh, text on them. And it's just super long, and it starts off by talking about John Knight, uh, who is, I guess, someone who worked for the government. And it's just talking about how this guy's out to get him. Uh, he's send, sicking the mafia on him mm-hmm. and all these things. I mean, it's quite rambly if you go through it. And it's quite frankly tough to read with all the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very um, – the, the spacing is very tight. Mm-hmm. And at times the, the letters are so dark that it, it almost looks like a single line kind of like yeah. when you look at it. Um, but it's definitely by someone who feels like they're being persecuted in some right. Paranoia is a big part of this, and it could tie into um, some schizoaffective types of conditions. But again, without 
knowing the person for sure, we're just sort of speculating. Not sure. even sort of. We're absolutely speculating. But where can you find these? So, Noel, for instance, you went and actually saw some in real life. Yeah. I mean, we saw. I, the thing was, we were walking around uh, Midtown Manhattan and happened upon the first one and then saw another one later and I thought maybe we had backtracked and it was the same one, but it definitely wasn't the same one. We had gone a different way. Uh, and they're pretty randomly scattered all all across New York. Uh, but not only New York. And that's the thing that, that starts to point to maybe who this, this person was or what kind of means he had. They're in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Washington, D.C., Ohio, Massachusetts, Illinois, Missouri, Michigan. Wait for it. Brazil, Argentina. Chile and more. And if you want to see a complete list of where most of them are found, go over to archive.org, hop on that Wayback Machine and go to toynbee.net. Right. So who made them? Who makes them? Are they still active? Is it one person? Is it more than one person? Can we find them? We'll explore that question in depth after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Here's where it gets crazy. No one absolutely agrees who created these things. 
That's why it kind of reminds me of, you know, the Guidestones yeah. thing in a way because it's text-based. It's sort of an anti-Guidestone because it's much more like you'd stumble across it and not even know you it was there, whereas mm-hmm. the guys are this like ostentatious giant monument that you can't miss. Mm-hmm. But the intent is sort of similar. I mean, it's to convey a message hidden in plain sight, more or less, you know. And I th- and then the idea is that, like, the mystery is what keeps people interested in seeking these out and reading them and researching them and, and finding all about them. But, yeah, nobody knows who this person is that put them there. Maybe it's a whole a cadre. A well, cadre. Yeah. That's the other thing. It could be because when you look at them, mm-hmm. there's this consistency – in the way they look, and like I said, with the lowercase eyes that you'll find across almost all of them, yeah, that makes you think it's you know either the same press that's being used to make these or the same person's right. hand maybe that's a, doing maybe it. Maybe they have a style guide. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Hey, yeah. possibly Toyn B style guide. We should start writing all of our uh, all, all of our work stuff in Toyn B style. Missives, missives, yes, mm-hmm. our missives and memos, uh, and correspondences. The multiple locations indicate, and this is something we alluded to earlier, um, indicate someone who, if it's a single person, has both the means and the time to travel. Because traveling to that many places to do that very specific thing is a is a tall order financially and in terms of hours spent. Yeah, and then to buy all the materials as well that you'd need to create those things. And you'd have to have a place that's secluded enough to create them in secret, I'm assuming. Right. So already we have some some pros and cons, for lack of a better dichotomy. We have an argument for it being one person because of the consistency, but we also have an argument for it being multiple people because the tiles at times literally invite other people to make tiles. However... We do know people have made some pretty solid guesses as to the identity of the tilist, the tiler. <laughs> the tiler, yeah. That's how you say it. Sort of a, a hamburglar type figure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this documentary <laughs> that you may have seen. It was on Netflix for a time. I cannot confirm on my current machine whether it is still there as Netflix changes out their material all the time. So it's called Resurrect Dead. The Mystery of the Toynbee Tiles. It was created in 2011 and directed by John Foy. It features three investigators who've been looking into these tiles since the 90s. Uh, one gentleman in particular named Justin, who is, uh, for the lack of a better word, obsessed a bit with the Toynbee idea. Mm-hmm. And then Steve and Colin are his uh, his buds and co-workers. So... They're, they're the ones who were visiting Toynbee.net way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually through their investigative measures or all the measures they took, they ended up being gifted control of that website. And they have uh, – they've, they've arrived in the, in the course of this documentary, which we do recommend. They've arrived at some clues that have, con- have convinced them in a way that they're that, – they feel like they know who this creator is. Yes. So throughout this documentary, they they identify three major suspects that they think could possibly be the Tyler. The first one is a gentleman named Sevi Verna. It's not his full name. Uh, we'll get into that later. And he's known as the Birdman. That's so cool. Talk about a nickname. <laughs> Why is he called the Birdman? Well, he sometimes will take care of injured birds, and apparently that's one of the main 
things that he does. Uh, slightly older gentleman. He's very intelligent, according to people who live near him uh-huh. on the same street. Uh, although he is a very difficult person to get a hold of, to talk to. Uh, he's very quiet. He likes to keep to himself. He doesn't really go anywhere. Um, he doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't really leave his house that often, apparently. Sometimes he does. At least mm. this is all according to hearsay, right? Okay. Uh, people that were interviewed by these people making the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, however, according to a phone call that the main guy made to this person's one of their relatives, one of this guy's relatives, he has never, ever been to South America. And as we know, these Toynbee tiles are in three places. And also, they found out through this relative that he has a terrible lung condition. And when you think about somebody going out on, you know, hot asphalt or on the street somewhere, even at night, Mm -hmm. putting down those tiles, all that manual labor, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you feel like maybe that person couldn't do it. Or maybe the lung condition was caused by exposure to all those toxic chemicals <gasps> doing dun, dun, it for dun. so many years. Ooh. Because, yeah. I mean, it seems to me like these are these – did we talk about how far they date back when – like, are the, do we – have, yeah, have yeah. we dated them? Uh, we know that the rumors of them first emerged in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 1983 it, in particular is when mm-hmm. it Yeah. So this is hot. a long, long time. It's decades plus activity. But we have other we have other suspects too. Sure. Right. Speaking of nicknames that you got to own, Railroad Joe, love it, or Julius Paroli. Do you think he knew hobo code? I'm. I'm I sure hope did. so. Oh man! So he worked for the Conrail Railroad Company. Uh, Conrail passes through every city in the U.S. where the tiles have been found. Right. Mm. If you need to travel. Okay. Hmm? I'm getting more on board with that one. Okay. Yes. On board. You're on the you're hopping on the, on the train, <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the railroad Joe mm-hmm. train. Um, so a giant telescope was being shipped in sections to Chile, uh, and th- this Those... shipment went through the rail yard where railroad Joe worked, and it was destined for La Silla Observatory in mm. Chile, of course. Um, his family, I'm going to say it as many times as I can, the family of railroad Joe. Uh, worked on creating tombstones. This was their business. Yeah, so they thought maybe that's how we got access to some of the tools required, oh, or at okay. least the 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 concept. Yeah, and the, the know how similar. The yeah, set. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's a fatal flaw to this theory. Railroad Joe or Julius Paroli died on March the twenty fourth, nineteen and eighty seven. That is a fatal flaw, right? I am assuming, unless he was resurrected on Jupiter. And made it back somehow, and that's what the whole thing's about. Maybe he was resurrected that on is Jupiter. So weirdly optimistic of you. That's uh, you know what? That's inspiring. Or maybe he headed up some kind of Toynbee tile cult, and he <laughs> laid the groundwork. Yeah, and spread the message. Laid the groundwork far and wide. Oh, I or, love or that. maybe maybe he did all of it, and people were just finding them later. Because let's not forget, I mean, these are in heavily foot-trafficked areas. And while you might argue, well, doesn't that mean it would be found instantly? They're not that remarkable to look at right away. Right. And there's a lot of noise, you know, visually and, you know, literally noise in these areas. And a lot of, you know, just garbage and stuff on the street. You could pass by this thing and think it was some kind of city 
sign for sure. a sewer line or like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't look remarkable at all unless you really peek down at them. And that was the only way I, I would have never noticed them if, if, they if, my, if they hadn't been pointed out to me. That's a great observation. We have to remember the cities are already filled to the brim with stuff. You know, mm-hmm. that's probably wasn't the only street art you saw when you were on your walkabout. No, it actually gets to the point where it's almost sensory overload, mm-hmm. where to actually see the good stuff, you you may easily be distracted by some lesser quality stuff that's just bigger and more gaudy. Yeah, same reason it's tough to uh, spend all day at a museum and pay the same amount of attention to everything. You know, you can get lost. We have one other suspect here, a fellow named James Morasco. He started the Minority Association, and there's a writer named Clark DeLeon who interviewed him in 1983. And so we have some information via this interview. Moresco lived in Fishtown or Kensington. These are blue-collar neighborhoods north of Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, and he's very proud of his education. Uh, Matt noted earlier that he has a soft bass voice. I did not note that. That is the uh, that is the gentleman who interviewed him. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Hey, I promise you, it's his verbatim <laughs> soft bass voice. You mean like a radio voice? Kind of like a soft sexy dulcet voice like a uh, quiet storm it's a it's a bowling it's probably a bowling you guys want to have an out uh let you want to have a soft off so, a soft off Let's i'm go. afraid of doing that come on now you can do it i really can't softer i can't bass here you can't hear that. make it low <laughs> well, we uh you can check out his voice of the account. The only known record of James Morasco was found uh in was that he was found to live in Chestnut Hill, Philadelphia. Which is a nicer neighborhood northwest of mm. where those other neighborhoods are. Mm. So not so much blue collar. In two thousand one, some more information was revealed about him. He cannot speak. According to his wife, he had his voice box removed, and based on his age, he would have been in his 70s and 80s when the majority of these tiles were thought to be in place. What, what do you mean he had his voice box removed? Yeah, I think it has something to do with cancer. Uh, I'm would, not sure. I, I can't so. verify I, that. I, I, but think so too. I don't think it's like a creative choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I highly doubt it. It's a big world. So, so we have these three people, each of whom have some arguments for and then some very powerful arguments against. Yes, and just for some context, uh, let's go to that interview that we're talking about with James Morasco because it is it is a little important. And we'll just read this pretty quickly. This is what they covered in the documentary from okay. this. Are you going to do a, a bass voice? No, no, because it's a different guy. This is Clark DeLeon's voice. Okay. I call me skeptical, but I had a hard time buying James Morasco's concept that the planet Jupiter would be colonized by bringing all the people on Earth who had ever died back to life. Sorry about that. Morasco says he's a social worker in Philly, and he came across this idea while reading a book by historian Arnold Toynbee, whose theory on bringing dead molecules back to life was depicted in the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. That's why he's contacting talk shows and newspapers to spread this message. He's even founded a Jupiter colonization organization called the Minority Association, which he says consists of me, Eric, Eric Sister, who does the typing, Frank. Anyway, you may be hearing more from Morasco than again, uh, you may not. 
Well done. Was this guy like a longshoreman or something? No, like, no. He sounded nothing like that. He's a very nice gentleman. <laughs> I, it was all in print, so I just uh I like that voice. I, I like the idea of hanging out with someone who always says Jupiter like they're angry at it. Was he, an, was, was he an Affleck? <laughs> he, was, he was an Affleck. <laughs> he it's Philly, too. It's not it's uh, Philadelphia. Story. It's a wrong accent. So that was that was from the uh, article in the Philadelphia Inquirer called Theories Want to Run That Would Buy Me Again. And... That's where we get a lot of information. We also have uh, a play, a very yeah. famous playwright that that enters into the story here. That's right. A short play by uh, legendary playwright and screenwriter David Mamet uh, entitled 4AM, which is from his Goldberg Street collection. It's a one-act play about a radio host and an odd caller who wants to discuss his plan to resurrect the dead on Jupiter. Sounds familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. And it mentions Arnold Toynbee, um, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and the resurrection of, quote, dead molecules on Jupiter. Jupiter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jupiter. Uh, there's also, this is, this is a tantalizing, uh, breadcrumb here. There's also a Toynbee tile in Santiago, Chile that includes an address for a house in South Philadelphia. Oh. Can we read the address on air? Are you guys cool? With I that? don't know. I, I was hesitant to include it. The documentary chose to not put it in there. Okay. Well, you can find it online if you wish. And, you know, that's a good point, Matt. Somebody probably lives there mm-hmm. and they're, you know, trying to live their life without inquiries into the Toynbee adventure. They did say it's on 7th Street somewhere. And they did say that there were also what they call prototiles found embedded in the pavement around this address. These appeared to be tests of the uh, tile materials. Some tiles were random letters. Others were in Spanish. Right. So it seems like there's something associated, you know, this is somehow associated with Philly. Okay. So we kind of set the stage here for information that this team uh, is has been gathering. And, and again, they're gathering the best known information about the Toynbee tiles, at least that you can find online which is pretty cool to follow these guys doing that. Well, in early 2006, uh, the guy, Bill O'Neill, who was running Toynbee.net, mm-hmm. remember we said that these guys took it over? Yeah. Well, it's because he like gave it to them, and it, they got access to hundreds of email messages that had come through, and uh, this is spanning from 1999 to 2006. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's just one big thing. So now they're, they have all the information that you can have about the Toynbee Times. They, they have a cache, right? Yeah. They're, they're building this enormous database. Uh, but that's not uh, the only weird thing they had access to. There was mysterious broadcast. Do you guys remember the story about the uh, Max Headroom appearance? Oh, yes. yes. Which is classic. We uh, Because Matt Noel and I are actually friends off air, we spend way too much time passing each other weird stuff that we think is either funny or just bizarre. And this is one, this is one, um, could you, could you describe it? I think you guys might do it. Well, I will, I will start off by saying that, um, Chuck from Stuff You Should Know, uh, did an episode with our frenemy Jonathan Strickland on nice. his, uh, podcast, Tech Stuff, Tech Stuff, uh, where they go deep into it. Basically, it was a signal intrusion. Uh, yeah. into a broadcast facility in, I can't remember uh, what Chicago. city, Chicago, yeah, uh, where, 
Um, it interrupted regular broadcast day <laughs> with mm-hmm. this odd looking dude in kind of like a plasticky face mask thing, kind of glitch video. Mm-hmm. Very much associated now the look of it with like vaporwave community and like the kind of like, you know, weird, like kitschy, 80s kind of like neo futuristic kind of vibe, almost plastic. Yeah, yeah, very strange, very very plasticky and fake looking. Um, and what was what, what did he? Do you remember what he said? Yeah, he uh, the person who makes the appearance uh, says a series of bizarre things. You should look often with the old ones of your tribe. That is the only way to learn. I'll get you a hot drink, man. <laughs> Yeah, that thing. Yeah, and everybody was every everybody was baffled beyond words, bugged out, mm-hmm. bugged out at, at a loss for words. And this, there's a similar thing that happens um, in the Toynbee case. In 1985, a guy named Joe Raimondo was watching Eyewitness News when a strange broadcast intruded over the airwaves. Someone hijacked the news and sent out the Toynbee message. Yeah, apparently it was just audio of what you would find on the Toynbee tiles, talking about the Toynbee idea 2001, resurrect the dead on Jupiter. And it just kind of, he said it came in a wave. It wasn't like the whole, you know, the whole TV broadcast, like the picture went away and yeah. you saw something. You just heard the message come through as static gain. Like there was gain static uh-huh. and then you hear the message and then it went away. That's weird. It's really weird, but it's going to factor in later in the story. And this story will continue after a brief word from our sponsors. <laughs> Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Attention, true crime enthusiast, searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. And we're back with no delay, as Matt would say. Yes, we're back. Zero delays. Uh, so let's jump right into it. There is a gentleman, now that these guys have access to Toynbee.net, mm-hmm. there's a gentleman named Nathan Mel, M-E-H-L, who wrote in with a story apparently about a street prophet that was giving out pamphlets. Uh, I love a street prophet, man. <laughs> yeah. However, when they contacted this guy, mm-hmm. he says that, oh, no, my what I wrote was taken out of context. There was actually no street profit. But what? there were flyers that were just blanketing this area where he was visiting at the time, and they included this Toynbee idea. There's this whole thing about public notice, and then it says all this stuff. And at the very bottom, it says, tune 6.25 megacycles shortwave. Which means the people who are putting out this idea have a shortwave radio show of some sort, or at least a place where they regularly give out signals. Which is interesting then, because that builds a case that they might have uh, knowledge related to radio broadcasting or transmissions. Mm -hmm. And in the course of Resurrect the Dead, another thing that happens in the documentary, which again is probably the best source for any information about the Toynbee tiles, Mm they went to this convention oriented around shortwave radio and they met a fellow named John T. Arthur who claimed that he communicated with the Toynbee Tyler. I still like Tylist. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the, with, with the Toynbee Tyler, but only through mail, through post. And then when the documentarians prompted this guy with the name Sevy, member from our earlier three suspects, John recalled the last name Verna. Yeah, he said it out loud without them mentioning that at all. So, hey, what do you think, Noel? That's that's kind of crazy that it that he was able to pop that off the top of his head after writing to the guy and getting correspondence back right off the dome. Yeah, son. man. And this this brought him back to Severino, Sevi, Verna. They revisited this and talk a little bit about his methods for delivering possibly yeah yeah allegedly Be- delivering exactly. the Toynbee tiles they did another hard uh look at his neighbors and friends and people who lived in the immediate area and they got a lot more detailed information so according to the neighbors Sevi had a bit of an unusual car okay that might um shed some light on on uh, how hmm. he if he was the person that did this installed these tiles so this car only had one seat um, on one side, uh, the driver's side, I imagine. Yeah. And uh, wait for it. There was no floorboard. Wait, what? Yeah, so like Flintstones mobile style. Just driving in a city. I mean, obviously there would have to be, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, what's the word? The drivetrain? 
Yeah, the drivetrain and the the um, the frame of the car. Yeah, there's right, stuff, the going stuff there. that's going on down there with <laughs> right, there's no right, floorboards. The so there would be like exactly, exactly. So there, but there would be like all of these open spaces where if one were so inclined to do odd little graffitis uh, mm-hmm. all over various cities, he could per- perhaps take that car, park it, or even not even park it. Maybe even at a light. Yeah. Oh yeah. Reach down. Pop on the tile because it wouldn't take that much time to do one of these. It'd be sort of the equivalent of like putting up a bill with wheat paste or something, you know, where you just kind of hit it over a couple times, make sure it's flat, and then you move on. And, you know, I heard them talk yeah. about wheat paste in this, and yeah. they said something about wheat paste may have been a way that it was done, but with asphalt stuff. So, like, yeah. What, is, what Let, is that? Let's talk a little bit about the structure of the tiles because we said that there is a consistency in their design. So imagine these layers, right? The bottom layer is a an adhesive, a tar paper, and we talked about how the other stuff is um, a, a kind of tile, but with a, a heavier rubber content okay. and a crack filling asphalt compound. So the brilliant thing about this is when you lay it down, you know, you would apply some pressure to make sure it adheres. But as other cars pass over it, each one of them is helping we pasted not to mention as the sun beats down on it and starts to heat up those materials that just gets more and more baked um, it in baked in to the environment yeah yeah and so this this is not only an aha moment but this is also a moment that explains a lot of stuff because one thing um one thing that we should emphasize about these tiles is many of them are found in areas that are so heavily trafficked There would apparently be no way, you know, even for somebody really fast to go up on foot and then, you you know, one of these down. Unless it was a drive by. Like, <laughs> like just Unless going it was by a just, drive-by. Wow. And that's not the only weird thing about Verna that the neighbors said. The car also had a giant antenna that would broadcast the Toynbee message. Uh, the signal would interrupt TV and radio signals as the car drove past. So I guess this is sort of like a mini mobile pirate radio station that would just intrude on whatever was available around in its yeah. immediate proximity. Yeah. Like so a really aggressive ice cream truck. Yeah. Yeah. But he's getting you in your house when you're listening to the radio or watching TV or something. Now, that's allegedly sure. the, uh, you know, that the Toynbee message would go out with this guy. But according to the, you know. The people mm-hmm. who lived around him, they hated that car. They knew what it, they knew about it because when it drove past, they'd always mess up what they were listening to or watching. And he had some disputes with his neighbors. He was not particularly loved in the community. He was held at knife point once, uh, apparently because there was an argument over his loud organ and accordion playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, for real. <laughs> he's become a he's become a bit of a shut in at the time of the documentary. He put plywood over his windows and he put a lead pipe through his door. Yeah, and he wouldn't respond to the multiple times these guys were trying to get in touch with him, uh, both in person and the, even the neighbors, the people who knew who he was, and uh, you know, ostensibly they know. He knows them, Mm -hmm. but he would never answer his door for anybody. So let's get weirder with it. Okay. There's another. I know there are a lot of names in this show, but uh, they should be worth it, hopefully. Uh, Here's another person named Ulis Fleming. And Ulis says he has a handwritten letter sent and signed by James Marasco from his minority association radio station written in the early 80s. What? Yeah, and Marasco also sent along a bunch of pages with info about the project 
inside this letter, Marasco is listed as the publicity director for the Minority Association. And at one point in the documents, the author, Marasco, refers to himself as Severino Verna. Holy crap. So we might be dealing with the same. It's like Batman, dude. <laughs> Severino. Marasco is Batman and Severino is who's Batman? Bruce Wayne. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, is that a spoiler? Yeah. Is, that yeah. A spoiler? <laughs> is Bruce Wayne is a spoiler? He's not actually a bat. Jesus. Also, People are lightweights. <laughs> but this this is interesting, this idea that there would be multiple identities, because that's something that a lot of con artists do, right? Yeah, or a street artist. Or a street artist might do that. Like yeah. a Banksy? Sure. Or like a, a graph head is not going to, you know, spray paint Douglas <laughs> yeah. Maroney. Here's my address. And my social security number, a list of my fears and when I'm usually at home. That, that, <laughs> well, that was my big question when when that address shows up in Chile. Uh, excuse me, Chile. Uh, like, why would you put your address there? Maybe if you want – if somebody who lives in Santiago wants to write to him about the Toynbee idea, maybe. And the, the thought is if you're in Chile, you're never going to actually get in contact with me. Personally, like you're not going to fly here and find me at my house. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the reasoning behind that. Oh, there was no Internet or there was, but it was very, very, very young in the 80s. Crude. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. More more um, IRC like message boards. Stuff. Blunt, yeah. A blunt instrument inter- Internet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was uh, it was a series of rocks. But yeah, I guess you just wouldn't have that fear of having your address out there. In another country that's, yeah, I mean, you know, across right. the world. The idea of like doxing wasn't even like a twinkle in the eye of the zeitgeist. Right. Yeah. Like maybe some black box government agency could do it, but that's it. So let's not leave that uh, the play that we mentioned earlier unexplained from that same letter. Uh, there's this quote that Arnold Toynbee's conception of the colonization of outer space, as depicted in the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, was first explained, according to the letter writer, in a call-in on Larry King's show in February of 1980. Whoa. That was back when Larry King was only 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever – no, I don't mean this in, in a disrespectful way. I don't want to body shame anyone or whatever the correct term is, but he has a very large head. Like if you've seen him when he's not sitting at his desk in his, the environment where you think you're supposed to encounter him, if you saw him walking down the street and you had never seen the Larry King show, yeah. you would still be like, by God. <laughs> yeah. well, 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 that paired with the, the, the increasing curvature of his spine yeah. and his tiny hands, he kind of resembles a T-Rex. Mm, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the reason this is significant, yes. that, uh, the, the writing about this in February 1980, is because uh, David Mamet didn't write his piece until I think 83, and then it officially came out in 84. Mm, okay. um, and... There's an excerpt from David Mamet discussing 4AM, his play, where he said, quote, Yeah, this play is an homage to Larry King, the days when I used to listen to him on the radio in the middle of the night. Which means this play that he wrote is quite literally whoever this Toynbee person was just like calling up Larry and and saying these things to him. And if you guys want to read an excerpt from the play... Uh, of course. Sure. 
Greg, we need your help to publicize our plan. We've been trying to get our organization together to raise money to be able to hire a public relations firm like Wells and Jacoby to publicize our organization. When are we going to get the money? I, I don't know. To publicize, yeah, in the movie two thousand and one, based on the writings of Arnold Toynbee, they speak of the plan. Excuse me, excuse me,、uh, but the movie two thousand one was based on the writings, and all human life is is, is made of molecules. Based on the writing of、uh, Arthur C. Clarke. All human. No, Greg. Look, if you examine what I'm. It was based on the writings of Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, oh, Greg. No, we have the. Well, go on.、Then. Greg, in the writings of Arnold Toynbee, he discusses a plan whereby all human life could be easily reconstituted onto the planet Jupiter.、Mm-hmm. So you see here, the whole idea is right there in David Mamet's play. No, I mean clearly based on the chronology of events here, the, this little play snippet was the influence for whatever odd human did these things. Well, no, no, the play was based on the actual guy who called in. He called in Larry King apparently、oh. in the early '80s, and then David Mamet heard it and then wrote something very similar to it, if not almost verbatim to But it. But Mamet says that he made the whole thing up. Yes, with his brain mind. <laughs> And that there was no actual call that described the contents of his play. Be that as it may, we just read an excerpt of the actual play. But, but maybe Mamet's full of it. I mean, maybe he's you know based on like if he wrote this in eighty three, you said eighty three, eighty four ish, mid eighties. And isn't like that when the first tiles started popping up? The call, the Larry King call, comes from nineteen eighty. So this would be around this time. And yeah, this is. And Mamet said it's when he used to listen to Larry King late at night. So it's probably one of those things, like you know, half half awake, half asleep. He's like listening、mm. to Larry King, falling falling asleep to it. He's like, oh man, I don't know where I'm getting these crazy thoughts about Jupiter and Toynbee, but this is great. I'm going to write this down. It's just so specific. <laughs> yeah,、Matt. you know what I mean. If、yeah. it's if it was something a little more stylized, where it's like people are being reincarnated or being reborn in space. Yeah. You know, but even on Saturn, Jupiter. Yeah, it's Arnold Toynbee who is not commonly referenced in most day-to-day or associated with this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the old question: which came first, the Mammoth Play or the Toynbee Tile? Yep, yep. That's the original version. <laughs> yeah, the, the world may never know, <laughs> but we have some conclusions here.、Uh, so. The person who created these tiles, whoever it was or is, believed that Toynbee provided the instructions to resurrect a deceased person, and that these instructions were the key to rebirth, not just for that individual, but for every single human being on this happy little planet of ours. Well, yeah, and they at least believed it enough to spend a whole lot of time and energy. I would say a good amount of their life's energy. This is obsessive. In time, yes, on on that singular idea,、um, and. Where the documentary pulls a quote that we're going to quote here from Toynbee, and it comes from his writings and experiences, and it says, "When after death the body dissolves into its physical elements, these elements themselves are not annihilated; they are continuing to exist as parts of the physical universe, though no longer in this form." Which makes sense, right? Yeah, sort of. We are made of star stuff. Yeah, your carbon breaks down, but that carbon is still there. So, the 
people who created the documentary, which again is excellent and worth well worth watching, uh, they end with a conclusion where wherein they are convinced that they have solved the mystery of the Toynbee tiles. Um, and I'm not completely, I'm not utterly convinced yet because I would want to, I would want to have it either completely confirmed or to the earlier point from the Guidestones, let the mystery be a mystery. It's pretty cool. And I don't think, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that other people, perhaps some of you listening today would start making your own. And not only that, he also, or this person or this group of people also believed that Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke then took these instructions and used them to inform the plot, specifically the ending, like the last 10 or 11 minutes of 2001, A Space Odyssey, which, you know, what an idea. I mean, I, you can't come up with this kind of stuff. Well said. And we hope you enjoyed this exploration. Uh, we'd also like to thank the illustrious Matt Riddle. Thank you, Matt Riddle. And everybody else who wrote in to us about these tiles. For finally, for finally getting us to do this. We have a long list of things that we want to cover and, uh, we, we try to get to it all eventually. <laughs> and speaking of listeners, just like you, it sounds like it's time for Shout Out Corners. Yes, Shout Out Corner. And our first shout out of the day goes to Ryan Penn and Josh Brumbaugh, uh, who visited the office yesterday from Maryland. Ryan made us uh, sign his shirt. That's I, true. I can attest to that. And he took a selfie with Scully, uh, and Josh was also cool. They were he was cool, super cool. cool fellows. Yeah, super cool. Thanks for thanks for dropping by, guys. Um, and we did we did check in advance uh, before before they left uh, to make sure we could use their last names on the air. Because ordinarily, you know, we're not going to compromise somebody that way unless you're cool with it. Our second shout out uh, comes from Christopher W., who says, good afternoon, gentlemen. Just a quick note regarding why Stalin had such a huge badger in his bag. How did that become a catchphrase <laughs> about Hitler and wanting him alive? Shortly after consolidating his power, Hitler approached Stalin with a non-aggression pact and a plan to divide Eastern Europe up between them once Germany conquered Europe. As long as Stalin didn't have, it didn't interfere. Stalin, for some reason, trusted Hitler, signed the pact, and assumed he could sit back and watch the capitalist world burn. Uh, but when Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa, Stalin was infuriated. Not only had Hitler lied to him, but he had believed him. That's why U.S.-British forces were ordered to stay back and allow the Soviets to take Berlin. Stalin insisted upon his retribution. He wanted Hitler captured alive and have him brought to the USSR to face Stalin's wrath personally. And there's a conspiracy theory that holds this actually happened, and Stalin kept Hitler alive for years, torturing him. A very well-researched, yet sadly out-of-print novel called The Burkut explores the theory quite well, even though it goes down a little off the rails at some points. And I think that's a great recommendation. Uh, Christopher also asked, what's the deal with Plum Island off the tip of Long Island? There's definitely stuff there they don't want us to know. Thanks so much for writing, uh, Chris. I'm going to look into finding a copy of that book because it sounds pretty interesting. And honestly, Stalin sounds like the type of dude who would be into that. Wasn't that the island that Hannibal Lecter wanted to live on in Silence of the Lambs? Is it Plum Island? I think so. I don't, I don't know that. That's interesting. I know it's been, it's been featured on several popular conspiracy shows. Yeah. He goes, Plum Island. That's all he says. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole thing. 
Plum Island. No, yes, it's where, as a term of his helping the FBI in their investigation, he gets them to agree to relocate him to Plum Island, uh, where he will be able to have a window where he can see a tree. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, he's doing pretty well with that voice, too. So was it a... Like a prison? Yeah. No, no. It's just a, a weird little island. That, oh, God. That, that he, that there's in like uninhabited or something. That was the point. <sighs> and our last shout out comes from Reese, who says, Hi, guys. I love your podcast. You're awesome. Thank you very much for saying that. And I'm really happy that you're starting to do live shows. I would suggest coming to Wisconsin, particularly Milwaukee or Madison. Thanks and keep it up. Or as the Algonquins called it, Milwaukee, ah. which means... The good land. Very nice. I learned that from Alice Cooper in Wayne's World, the movie. Well, we would love to uh, visit you in Milwaukee. That would be that would be fun. Yeah, and we want to thank everybody who's been sending in suggestions of places to go. We've got our eyes on it, so keep letting us know uh, where you would like to have us visit next. This concludes our. But not our show. We're heading off to dig deeper into more conspiracy theories. We will be back next week. In the meantime, let us know what you think about the Toynbee tiles. Do you think the mystery is solved? Are you the creator? Are you, are listening you yeah. To the are you show? in the minority association? Were you a longtime member? Like, what are the dues like for the minority association? Uh, are you the person who had to do the typing? Let us know. Yes. <laughs> And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.